The family is the number one problem and the number one solution in America. <laughs> right? It's not social media. It's not the government's fault. The, the family is the number one problem and the number one solution in America. If we could just get that right, we could get everything else right. But this topic of sexuality is definitely like 1B or 2. <laughs> because, and, and mostly because... Students don't want to talk about their family if they're coming from a really rough family. But all they talk about and all they are, you know, inundated with is sex and sexuality. So if we're not, as youth leaders, dealing with this topic, then we are not dealing with the topic at hand. Right? Right. So I'll try to balance the room. I know most of you are over here. And there's only like a few over here, but I'll uh, do my best to kind of hit both sides. Um, so the first session, if you didn't get it, uh, was more of a biblical framework on, on gender, marriage, and sex, sexuality. So if you, uh, if you want to get specific biblical theological framework on that those three things then just listen to that next uh, that that session when you get your conference packet at the end or how I don't know how they're doing that but I, I won't be I, I won't be uh, as as heavy into the scriptures on this session just for the topic that we're doing become a little I think I'll stay a little more cultural with this there'll be some reference but so if you're concerned that this is my ideology and my meology, um, it's just because I've already dealt with that topic uh, complete in the scriptures previous, okay? Um, the devil stole sex. Let's go there. Uh, I like to say it this way. When the devil stole love, the devil stole sex. So the book that you are getting also as a resource, it should be in your uh, did you guys get your packet yet or like a gift bag? All of you are getting this book. Yes. Yes. And uh, I did bring, if you are interested, I brought a box. Okay. If you want to get some for uh, other people, uh, you want to purchase these for the team, I have a box. There's only 56. And somebody else already said, I want 10. <laughs> so if you, if you want to do that, they're $15. I can do uh, Stripe or cash. doesn't matter. I can do either way. And you can get them for your team. Or maybe you're like, man, there's this family that's really going through it. And I want my copy, so I'll get them one. <laughs> so uh, I'll have those out after lunch um, out there. Uh, unfortunately, that's all I, I literally, that's all I had. So... Six straight weeks, it is sold out. Like, I think as of yesterday, it was still sold out on Amazon. That's what I was told by a youth pastor yesterday. So it keeps selling out, which is a great thing. But it's a bummer also that they didn't foresee the sales because I've lost, I've lost hundreds and hundreds of sales because of that. I, I know we have. Um, but anyway, so everything that from the first session is in Chapter 2. Okay? Chapter 2 on a theology of sex, right? This session is going to be a compilation of several chapters. So I want to give a little history of the sexual revolution. I want to give a little history of this statement, okay? And then I want to visit some really difficult, uh, I want to go there, as they say. <laughs> what do we do, what do we do uh, in your conversations with uh, teenagers who are struggling with same-sex attraction or other, th LG+. Um, the LGBTQIA+, <laughs> crowd, uh, understands what you say when you say LG+. That's kind of a pop term now. It's becoming, it's easier. <laughs> so if you said LG+, in, in that crowd, they would know what you're talking about. And they they prefer that because they really don't want, they don't like the Q, the queer, being in their community anyway. The, the LG plus crowd is not uh, comfortable with queer. Um, 
So, and interestingly enough, there are divisions within the LG+. There's the political division that is really uh, militant, okay? Um, legislative. See where I'm going with that? The law part of thing, the, the government part of it. Very militant. Then you would have the activists who are militant, who are out uh, marching, they're out in parades, they are picketing, they're demonstrating, however you want to say that. And that, that is really important to them, that they win the battle at the cultural front. Then you have others who are conservative in the LG+, who would be like distancing themselves from the militant, distancing them, themselves from the, uh, those who are demonstrating, um, activists, and a little more conservative. And then you would have the conservative religious LG+, denominations that have switched over, and uh, credentialing, etc. So there's a, there's a huge division with even, even within LG+. So it's really difficult to identify by just saying the LGBTQ community, right? Because it's so diverse. Kind of like the Christian community. <laughs> you have the evangelicals, you have the Catholics, you have the charismatics, right? And so um, as we kind of walk through this, hopefully I can define some of that for you too. And then we're going to do a Q&A. I'm going to leave plenty of time. We never have enough time for the Q&A, so I'm going to leave a little more time for that, okay? So what do I mean when I say the devil stole sex? I think when you remove love from the conversation, you get nowhere. When you remove love from the conversation, we get nowhere. Because now we're about winning arguments and losing relationships. And I don't want to win an argument and lose a relationship. You understand that concept? It really is simple to define. It's not that we don't care about truth. And it's not that we give in to truth. Because that's what, that's what the, some crowd will say. They'll say things like, well, we should win the argument. Right? And I'm like, no, not at the expense of losing a friendship or a relationship. So what I choose to do is to put the argument aside for a while, let it cool off, and go to areas where we agree. Okay? Yes, Paul said grace and truth, but he did say truth too, and he did say grace. So that's, I would see truth as the, the, uh, the scriptures and grace as the relationship. And, I, and it's not one or the other. It's yes, both and. So... I would prefer that in conversations where it gets heated or it's difficult, that you simply just don't stop having the conversation. Just pause it. Put it off for a while until you can maybe address it a little more uh, educated. You can address it a little more biblical. Listen, there's a difference between meology and theology. There's a difference between culture and scripture. You cannot win this with just a meological, cultural argument. This is, these are my ideologies. This is what I think because it's popular. That's not going to win anybody anything. And you can go back to the last session. We talked more about, you know, apologetics there and how to, how to build a case for this. So in understanding this role of love and when we lose love, we lose the relationship and ultimately the argument. That's what I mean by that. What happens is we start seeing, listen, we start seeing people as the problem and not Satan as the problem. Follow me through with this. Oftentimes, especially young people, our teenagers don't know the difference between culture and theology because they're not walking in theology 
Again, I know I hit that heavy in the last session, but let me bring you up to date a little bit. We are trying to have theological conversations with teenagers and young adults, <laughs> and frankly, adults, who have no framework for theology. If I were to hand the microphone over to you and say, just give me, give me five minutes on your theology of sex, on your theology of gender, marriage, and sexuality, most of us would have a very difficult time. And we're the leaders. We're the ones who are supposed to be building this framework in teenagers' lives. And we couldn't fill five minutes. So where do we, you know, where do we start? Think about it. Gen Z, teenagers today, and who knows what Gen Alpha is going to look like, or Alpha Gen or whatever we call them. Who knows what they're going to look like. But Gen Z today has a 4% biblical worldview, the lowest of any, of any sociological set in American history. 4% biblical worldview. That means they think of topics from a biblical perspective. For, I didn't even believe it. I called Barna when I saw the stat. I, I called them up. And uh, David Kinnaman, who, does, who heads up their research, I'm like, come on, David, there's no way. Give me 14%. Give me 24%. Give me some. There is no way. Jeff, this is where it's at. This is what we found. You, here's the extra data. They did a plus negative. The, you know, the query that they did was tens of thousands. And it was outside of the church also. 4% biblical worldview. The generation before them, their older brothers and sisters, the Y-Gen, which is where the title of the book has come from. So uh, Gen Z, the teenagers, Gen Y, their older brothers and sisters, the millennials, the Ys of millennials. 19% biblical worldview. So it drops by almost four, you know, what is four times, four plus, you know, four times. X, that's the parents. That would be most of the parents that were, you know, my age-ish, because I am almost a silent. <laughs> Grand, I am a grandparent six times, all boys, and that is a freaking wrestling match, and I love it. But the, the Y generation, 19%, and then the parents, Gen X, 33%, 32.5%. So you see that drastic drop. Take it all the way to the grandparents, the silent generation, 65% biblical worldview. So you see in three generations this incredible drop. So what we're dealing with, okay, as youth leaders, is a cultural phenomenon. You're not dealing with a theological issue because they're not coming from a theological standpoint. They're not. Their argument is not an argument of theology. Now, some will. Some will get there, and progressives will get there, but most of your conversations are going to be, I feel, this is feeling, not faith. This is emotion, not an ethic. Follow me? This is popularity, not principle. So that's what most of the argument is going to be. So somehow we have to bring this theological framework into the argument. And again, just watch the first session and you'll, you'll have that. So what does it look like? How do we bring love back into this conversation? I think our response is critical. We cannot respond with shame or guilt or uh, isolation we cannot respond with shock and awe when this comes face-to-face uh, -face with us conversation or a leader comes to you and says, hey, I was talking to, and they, are, they say that they're gay. So your response is critical. And what should our response be? Our response should be, welcome to the club. 
our response should always be, okay, so you are struggling with same-sex attraction. Let's just say that in this full scale of LG+. You are struggling with same-sex attraction. Or you are struggling with uh, illicit sexual relations outside of marriage. Right? Whatever it is. Let's not just get stuck on the LG plus issue. I have my issues too. You've, somehow you have to level the ground at the cross. And you level the ground by bringing love into the conversation and saying something like, great, the rest of us here have issues too. I got issues, <laughs> right? I mean, just let, let, let pop songs say it. We all got issues. And that begins then, I think, a beautiful relationship on how to work this out. I think it, all, I think it, it is all destroyed when we lose love. So when a, when a conversation begins... Our response cannot be reactive. It has to be proactive. Reactive is shock and awe or judgment or shame or criticism or cynicism. Worse. I'm okay with criticism, but don't give me cynicism because now your mind is set. So how am I going to start? How was the conversation started and how am I going to keep it going? I remember one time a student walked in on a Wednesday night about an hour early, and we were uh, finishing up practice. The students were already finishing up with the worship, and the student walked in was sitting in the back, and so I walked back there, and I'm talking to her, and it came out that she was transitioning, that she wanted to transition from a female to a male. And she said, how does that make you feel? This is what she said to me. And I'd known her for a while, uh, knew that she kind of struggled with some of that, but didn't realize this was, this was progressing that quickly. And I said, uh, Anna, how do you think it makes me feel? And so we're sitting in the back, and I, I pointed up to the worship team. I said, he doesn't have it all together. And this one over here, uh, you, you know what he's struggling with because you go to school with him. And the greeters who are getting things set up out there, they're not perfect either. And this is, a, this is exactly what Anna said. Oh, I also told her, I said, and nor am I. You know, I'm not the best husband all the time. And sometimes I'm a really bad dad. And her response to me was, I guess then nothing changes that you'll accept me no matter what. And I said, are you kidding? Absolutely, yes. I will accept you. I may not agree with you, and you better let me tell you where we disagree and don't hold this just over my head. That Right, so I love to have these conversations with teenagers. So, yes, I do, but I just want you to know, Anna, what you're doing is wrong. It is absolutely wrong. It goes against the scriptures. It goes against the way your family brought you up. It goes against everything that we believe here. But you are welcome here like everyone else here that's trying to figure it out. And that kind of a response is really Honestly, rare in the church. We may think it, but to say that, we would never share it with the board. We would never share it with the lead. We would never share that with, right? And that's got to change. That has got to change. Uh, I have been left out of, I've been canceled in meetings. I've been left out of district events since the book came out because of my stance on that. And I'm so okay with that because 
I've wrestled with this for 20 years now, almost 20 years as a family. And I've settled, it's settled with me. I've wrestled this. You know, you don't just decide to write this book overnight. <laughs> hey, I think I'll write a book on sex and sexuality today and let it be printed for everyone to see. And, oh, by the way, my brother is really popular and he's gay. <laughs> right? So it's like when you pour your life into a project like that, you know that there are going to be responses. And I'm so comfortable with them. And what I've learned is, with this whole topic of love and sex, it is people who are not comfortable with the topic that don't want to talk about it. Or who address it really quickly, angrily, and with judgment. Because you don't have enough of a background or an ethic behind the topic. And if you did, you would see how important that is. Again, listen to the other session on the theological framework for what I'm saying. So, again, relationships. Let me bring this one up because I'm sure you are dealing with this. Somebody comes and they want to get involved. Somebody comes to you in the youth ministry or in the children's ministry and they say, hey, I would like to get involved, but I just want you to know that I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. Right? Let's go there. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously we have to be able to have a defense for this and have an answer for this because it's going to become even more, well, hopefully it becomes more popular because more LG plus continue to come to the church like they are. And they find a open door policy. There's a difference between attendance and involvement. I say come one, come all, as far as attendance. But what do we do with involvement? Well, if we believe that there's a different responsibility between attendance and involvement, what is that and what does it look like? So let me break down involvement in two ways, okay? Involvement of leadership over programs and leadership over people. Follow me there? So we have attendance, come one, come all. Then we have the argument on, uh, on involvement, what do we do? How involved? So I like to break it down this way. I don't know that it's perfect, but it's really helpful. So we break it down, we break involvement down with that person by saying there are two levels of involvement. You can lead people or you can lead programs. In order to lead programs, my list of qualifications are much smaller. So if somebody comes in and they want to run tech, or they want, to want, they want to run the table and sign up. Or they want to follow up with in the office and come by in the office and work with sign-ups for events or event planning. Okay, all these kind of program-based tasks. My, my, honestly, I don't even care if they're saved or not. <laughs> right? I don't, that doesn't matter to me. Um... I would like them to at least be a regular attender. And could you not swear when you're here and not smoke when you're right? And the, the fighting that you've been, could you at least be peaceable here, right? Because now I can use their involvement in program, programming to use that as discipleship. It is when Jesus said, hey, I'm going to your house today. Or, better yet, you're coming to my house. And he sits with the sinners or he's cozy with the crooks. 
and there is this relationship. I don't know why he chose Matthew to run the books. <laughs> I don't know, you, you know, or from running the books to be a disciple. I don't know how Judas got messed up in this, but even, even Jesus had some people around him that we would go, uh, I don't know. That's not in the Alpha program. I don't, soap wouldn't necessarily think we should do things that way. Um, right? That's not in our bylaws. So sometimes there's this really difficult space of involvement, and how do I define that? So the easiest way for me is, if you're going to lead programs, my list of qualifications are a little smaller. Okay? But if I see an opportunity to disciple you, then I'm going to use that opportunity to get you involved, connected to other people on that team, in relationship with other Christians. Right? I have this understanding. We always had a list of qualifications and stuff in, in our youth packet. If you're going to be involved in that stuff, here's our expectations. And then I can help hold people accountable to that. Correct? Okay, now somebody wants to be involved beyond programs and lead people. So I don't want to, hear me, I want, to, I want you to struggle with this when I say it too. I'm not saying that ministry, leading programs is not ministry. Because some people would say, well, that's ministry. It's ministry on a platform or it's ministry in a small group or it's ministry at the table. It's all ministry. It's all ministry. Mm, I see it differently and it's okay. If you don't, then don't do this. This is just my answer to this problem, to this issue. So I see leading people is totally different than leading programs. I see the responsibility of leading people at a whole nother level of assignment. And honestly, responsibility. Because now I'm dealing with the doctrine, spiritual formation, theological frame building of this person and I want to make sure that people who lead on the platform people who lead from here you know that fill in for me people that lead small group okay my other leaders that there is a level of accountability and spiritual maturity in them so student leaders are, are allowed to do those kind of things but the qualifications rise a little bit. That they're not practicing such things that would keep them out of the kingdom of heaven. Go back to the first session and you can catch some of that too from Galatians and Paul's language. So what I do is, I don't, listen, I'm not looking for perfection, I'm looking for progress. Whereas when, it, when, it, when they're handling programs, I'm just looking for them to be here <laughs> so I have the opportunity to disciple them. So I want to use their gifts, you know. Now, most people would not just walk in, be struggling with this issue, and want to jump up on the platform. <laughs> so I do have time to work with them. But I've had to have the conversation and say, follow me, and say, um, from everything that I'm hearing from your friends at school, you are not living a Christian lifestyle, so you're not going to play bass on the worship team until you clean this up. I didn't even bring up the sexuality issue. Because as far as I'm concerned, gossip, anger, bullying, etc., right? Dissension, disunity, Lying, disobedience to parents, breaking the Ten Commandments. That, that is no different to me than LG+. 
And some of you have a hard time with that, and I'm so glad that you do because it's okay to wrestle with that. I know there are sins against the body. I get that. I, I, I know the scripture, okay? But if you, rem- if you recall, God hated seven things, and three of them were people, and one of those was a liar. And one of those was a dissenter. Those who sow discord. So are we going to take those who sow discord off the team and off the eldership? Or just people with a red scarlet letter? I don't know where this came from, right? This is just, it's satanic, the way we treat people because of their sin. I love you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. It is satanic because it goes against the nature of grace and in the nature of God. To hate somebody and to exclude them because of sexual immorality. That is satanic. It's not right. It's exclusive. Because you have a lean or a bend because of the way you were raised. I love you. Do you know that the gay hate debate was all started on a lie? The, the, the church hates gay people was started on a lie. It's really a remarkable read. I put it in the book, and I don't have time to read the whole thing. But if you would, man, the Matthew Shepard case Some of you are familiar with the Matthew Shepard case. The young boy, uh, college kid, who was killed. And I I do the history of that case in here for this reason. Honestly, the, uh, when this happened 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago, when this happened, the The media propagated a lie from that evening when Matthew Shepard was murdered. He was a gay young man at this bar, and he was attacked and beaten by a couple of addicts who were not Christians. There were actually Christians at the bar, some who had just got out of a youth setting, I don't know if it was a rally or they're not, they weren't real clear on the report, who were there who were actually ministering to some other people that they knew. But when this fight broke out and several of them tried to break it up, they were then accused of starting this brawl. So what are we going to believe? If you look at the news it was the gay Christians who killed Matthew Shepard. It was the Christians who killed gay Matthew Shepard. If you look at the police report, it is the opposite of that. And I went back and didn't just, I read the articles too. You know, when you publish a book, you better get the facts straight. I read the articles, but I also read the police report. And I put part of the police report in here. It was not the Christians who killed Matthew Shepard that night. And yet, what has been propagated for almost 40 years is the gay hate debate. It was all started partially on this case. And it was an absolute figment of some reporter's imagination. And we have, honestly, we have barely recovered since. Other things have happened. Interruption of gay pride events and parades and by activists. But hear me. It wasn't the church that started it. It was a progressive media who started it. Let's get the facts straight. And the more you know things like that, the easier it is for us to have the conversation on healing and bringing love back into it. Um, let me go to this slide right here. 
if you hear claims about shame and trauma and submission that is not the purity culture, that has nothing to do with the purity culture, that is cancel culture at its best, making extreme general statements to cancel purity, I want to use that slide to say the same with this concept of canceling the truth. What happens is we propagate a way of believing on a lie. And then everybody buys in and we can't recover. The gay-hate debate is, is not something that we started as a church. But even the church, honest, even the church succumbed to it. And then we allowed dissension within our own ranks and how we were going to treat LG+. So when we look at that involvement, qualifications, programs, people, where are you going to, how are you going to delineate that involvement when they, when they come in? Forgive me for saying they. <laughs> you know, when an LG plus student comes in and wants to get involved, how are you going to process that? Because it's really important that you are able to give a defense and a framework for involvement, okay? The book helps. I get a little more specific in there and get, I give you some steps on how to do that. Let me give you another s situation. So a parent comes to you and a parent says, um, I think my son or daughter is gay. What do I do? Right? Wow how to go, we, we, we could spend a whole session on that. And I know, I think one of the sessions is like how to have the sex talk. There's a whole chapter on family sexuality in here on that. Ten signs of a sexually healthy home. You gotta read that. Yeah, you do. You gotta read that. Song of Solomon might be in there. And how to handle that conversation. Um, ten ways to have that conversation. So, what, what, but what do we do with that? You know, and this is a practical session. What do we do with that? How do I sit with that parent first and process that, and then with the student? And how do I help them with the student? Well, unfortunately, the way that conversation is going to go depends on how that conversation has already gone with the parent and the child. <laughs> because that parent may have already have a dysfunctional relationship with the kid. And now, what do I do? How do I heal all the other issues that they have in their life? Now i got to tackle this one. Right? That, that's the difficult part. Because I don't, know, I don't know if this is a good relationship between the parents and the child. Or if there's no relationship. So it, it, I know it's more difficult than I'm going to address. But... I think you can do two or three things. First, you have to be, you must understand your own personal theology of, sex, of gender, marriage, and sex. Your own personal theology of sexuality. You have to. And you got to go beyond just, he created them male and female. <laughs> and he didn't create Adam and Eve, he created Adam and Steve, he created Adam and Eve, right? All that stuff. You got to get way beyond that. You have to be able to speak. And that's why the book is there. That's why the last session was there. We gave you six stops, theological stops, and how to have that conversation. So that's the first step. Make sure you know what you're talking about when you begin the conversation. Second, you have to meet with the parents first because you somehow have to get them to stop being so emotional about this. When my brother, whom, you know, some of you know the story. Uh, if you don't, uh, you can, you know, research up on it. Um, my, my brother's very popular in government. Um, he's high up, the highest ranking gay Republican ever. And he's three years younger than me, raised in this, raised in the church, and chose the gay lifestyle about 19 years ago. And when he did, we had to detach the emotion from it. Okay, and my first response was, so what, okay, and I got issues, and so does everybody else in the family. Okay, 
let's go. How are we going to do this? And for some of you, that you, you can't even fathom saying that. Because now, if you accept them, then you have lost the truth. Where did, I, I don't, you know, I don't know where that jump was made. I don't know where that theological jump was even made. Uh, if that were true, Jesus wouldn't ha have had the relationship with as many unchurched, lost as he had. Right? It just, that's a jump I don't, I don't understand. And I had them try to explain it to me, and I still don't understand it. It's just, it doesn't make sense. Goes back to not winning arguments and losing friendships, right? So, or winning arguments and losing friendships. So somehow you have to sit with the parents first and help them to now look at this from the biblical perspective that includes both grace and truth, not just truth. And you can never be in my home again because that will bring in the devil and that will, the devil's already in your home if you're thinking like that. Okay, he already resides there if you're thinking like that. That's, that's, a, that's a scary thought. That is not what it means to not be equally yoked or, to, yeah, man. So you help people to understand that when Paul said grace and truth, he meant it. And he didn't separate them. Grace is relationship. Truth is the scriptures. So if I'm going to balance both grace and truth as a parent, then i got to look at myself. What have I done that this child is looking at that may not be uh, biblical, may not be a, a Christian response to them? My anger? Uh, when is the last time we prayed together? When is the last time we read the scriptures together? When is the last time we worshipped together in the home? <laughs> That's a whole nother session. So when you think about the leadership that this parent is going to have to bring into this situation, you have to first begin the conversation with the parent and give them the tools to have this discussion. And again, those are in, I think it's chapter 5. Okay? Um, third, so number one, prepare yourself. Number two, have plenty of conversations with the parents and prepare them how to bring grace and truth in the situation. And then three, the first meeting should be a cohort with all three of you or four or whatever, right? The child, the parents, and you. Because now you know what has been said, <laughs> how the child responded, how the parent responded, and I can lead both after that in the right direction. If I'm seeing truth, 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 law, 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 law from the parents and no grace, now I'm going to have to, when that meeting's over, talk to the parents again about what we just talked about. <laughs> we cannot separate truth and grace. If I see the opposite, just all grace, and it's okay, and it's okay, and we'll let you do whatever you want, and you can continue practicing this, just don't, right, don't bring it in the home. That's not guidance either. Okay, that's not guidance either. That's grace, 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 grace. That's how, honestly, that's how too many people have responded so far. As they have moved away from a conservative theology into a prog progressive theology. Just great, whatever. It just, we just accept them all. And now we're going to credential them. We're going to change denominations. And we're going to, that, that's not truth and grace either. Here, I like to say it this way. All of the truth, okay, all of the truth, and none of the spirit. Man is in control. All of the spirit and none of the truth. Man is out of control. But all of the truth and all of the spirit. God is in control. You see the balance? See the balance there? I'm not just bringing grace, 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 love, 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 love like the dove, you know. And give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. We just, whatever you want, you can just give it to me. Let's go. That's good too. I agree with that. I believe that. I believe that too. It's both. 
And I, and I think when we dance with grace and truth, that it's easier to, to deal with this. So I deal with myself, I prepare myself, I prepare the parents, and then the meeting is together with both. Then I can see how I respond moving forward. Okay? All right. Uh, oh, 33. Okay. Man. One more thing, and then we'll do a Q&A. Can I do one more thing? Uh, where to go? Right here. Let's get real practical here. There are some things God will deliver us from, but there are other things God will ask us to be disciplined from. <laughs> so, like the question this morning, and I, 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 in the first session, I, I'm going to extend my answer to it. Somebody comes to you and says, I'm, a teenager comes to you and says, I'm struggling with this gay lifestyle, you know, and God says it's okay, and I think it's okay, what do you do? This is, this is down to it too, right? You know, my, my response is you have to talk to that teenager and make sure that they're, what they're saying is even real. God told me, okay, did God tell you he loves you or he's allowing you to continue in something he told you you shouldn't do? Right? So you, you talk to them. Don't just say, oh, he did? God did? Okay, well, Cool. Talk to teenagers. Ask them what God said. Can you bring that to a text? Can you give it to Scripture with me? Was there a verse with that? Because what I'm reading isn't the same, right? Well, let me take it. Let me give you another answer to that. We, de we dealt with this question in the first session. Let me extend it to this. I believe that God can deliver you from anything. Any addiction that you have. Drug and alcohol addiction. Stealing, lying, addictive, uh, body harm, shaming, bullying, sexual sins. I believe God can free you of it instantly. Partly because that happened in my life. Raised in the church, but left the church, left the home. At a long story, 411 on it, at a party, God interrupts my drunk, already had a fifth of schnapps, going down on another one, lighting up a fourth marijuana. Gone in my mind, and I start crying at this party at a table. Just broke. And I'm like, God, not now. No, no, not now. Can we do this at convention? Can we do this at youth group? Right? And he started convicting me of my sin. And that night, in a series of literally within an hour, my drunk was gone. I committed my life to Christ at a party. I never smoked again. I never swore again. And I'm an athlete. I never swore again. Are you kidding? That right there is a miracle statement, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I never drank again, smoked again. All this stuff came to parties to this day. It was a radical teen challenge salvation. <laughs> I know God can deliver you. But hear me. Sometimes he, it is clear enough that he asks you to discipline yourself from it. And he's, we've had the prayers and, and you've felt his presence and you've heard the truth. Now it's up to you. If you believe this is wrong, but you're still struggling with it, then let's discipline yourself to be a gay celibate believer. <laughs> yeah. To be a believer who is tempted but doesn't sin. I believe that you can, as simply as I can say it, the same-sex attraction is not sin. Same-sex action is sin. So how do you speak to that teenager? You give them hope by saying, this is the truth. Here, here's the grace side by side. 
If God does not deliver you, then I'm asking you to discipline yourself from this. Like, I have to dis discipline myself from, just talk to them. So, yeah, okay, man. Let's do a Q&A. We, we want to get this on, on the mic, so we have about seven minutes here to do this. <laughs> Go. Thank you so much. Um, so my question is, if there's an argument uh, or an approach you used to take to tackling this issue that after your study you no longer take. So if you can talk to us a little bit about um, maybe something that you learned, that maybe you learned in church, but you realize, yo, this is just culture and this doesn't work. Because um, I know, especially for a lot of us, there are things that we hear that, mm, you know, the Adam and Steve, right? Okay, yeah, right, that's true. But so are there things that you know you heard youth leaders, church leaders use as best practice? You're like, listen, that's, that's a straw man. You can't use that. Yeah, th that's good. It, I think it's that, man, that's a tough question. I've, I've, I've been asked that a few times, and I don't know if I'm going to give you the best answer, okay? And, and I'm just being honest. Because you can have an apologetic answer for this or a philosophical answer for having a discussion about a framework that you believe is right but somebody else does not. So it's an argument outside of context in philosophy. In other words, I'm using an argument that I rest on, the scriptures. Somebody else is using an argument that they rest on and it's cultural or ideological or historical. Right? So the, the easiest way that, that I can answer that question is to say, stick to the scriptures if you're coming from a theological framework. Giving history, like the Matthew Shepard case, can help. It can help support how you feel about loving people in that setting. Giving uh, suicide statistics for trans is cultural. That can help against the gender identity. Why gender? Because it's, sanct it's, it's sanctified. Gender is holy. It is sanctious. So, you know, we can step outside of the scriptures to, to bring an argument to a scriptural argument when, or a framework, when it supports it. You know what I mean? I, I know where you're going. It's just really difficult to say, I'm going to put the scriptures aside and try to prove to you that this is wrong. Like, uh, the animal kingdom, most of the animal kingdom is heterosexual. And then they go, well, most, but not all. There goes your argument. I mean, what do you do? Uh, com compa compatibility. Have you heard that argument? Uh, compatibility of the, of the sexes. Male, female. Right? There's some compatibility there. One goes in, one goes out, one receives, one gives. So you could use that compatibility, but then people say, but what if I've had a sex change, that's not compatible. Again, you have to go back to, okay, yeah, but you're changing the beginning of the argument of gender. Again, go to first session, and you can see the scriptures on that. So it's really difficult to have, to have an argument outside of the ethic, because now anything is, listen, do not be afraid to keep your scriptural argument, your scriptural frame, framework, because honestly, it's what we have. And as I said in the last session, everyone that's going to argue from a cultural standpoint is arguing from change. Those of us who are arguing from a scriptural standpoint are arguing from no change. This is pretty static. We, listen, we, are, we aren't giving an argument that's going to change because the government redefines marriage. Because that's what they're going to say. They're going to say, uh, but the government said so. And my response has always been in these circles as I'm sitting with LG+. Plus, um, the Bible does not say our father, which are in Washington. Right. 
they're like, oh, that's cute. I'm like, I didn't mean it to be cute. The scriptures are what I base my theology on, my ethic on, my faith on, not my feelings. Right. So I would just say you, you can find those areas of support outside of scripture that will help you. And, and, there's, and there's cases in, there, in, the soci, in the sociology sector where I talk about the tsunamis, the different tsunamis that have hit us, sexual revolutions. I call them tsunamis. So there's some case studies in there. Uh, here's another one real quick. Man, I know I'm going deeper on this and not getting other questions. Um, uh, the virginity rocks. You know the virginity rocks wear that teenagers have had? You cannot wear that in certain school districts across the country now. Oh, yeah. The big one, Kansas City, Kansas City Public Schools, went to the Supreme Court and locked this out. And this kid, uh, that it because, you know, cancel culture. So I just said, okay, let's have that discussion. Like, like they'll even say, I've had LG, LG say to me, listen, you guys can't even wear virginity rocks anymore. And I'm like, you know what? I don't even care. I'd like to create a T-shirt that says purity rocks because purity is more important than virginity. You can lose your virginity and never get it back. Do you understand that? And I know, listen, I, I know I've had the arguments. I've had them stand up and oppose that. Like, are you kidding? How, what are you? You purity culture, you cancel. I'm like, no, listen, do you understand some of you women and men, but I'm just going to say women first, lost your virginity and it, was, it had nothing to do with sex? It could have been sports or putting your tampon in the wrong way. Hello? Can we just talk? Can we talk? Virginity has nothing to do with purity. It could. But you lose your virginity a lot of different ways. But if you lose your purity, that can be restored. And you better celebrate purity more than you celebrate your virginity. Because God cares more about that. You understand that? So that there's, a, again, an argument outside of maybe scripture that helps them define what you mean from the framework of, of the text? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody else. Somebody else. We kind of stole, he answered it. Actually, so I have uh, um, a student, a male student, who was, lost his virginity from a, anyways. Yeah. Um, and um, so now he is like a dog on a bone for, for, for every, so I, how do I speak into that? Because he knows he's brought up in the church and he knows, but you know, why did God let, allow this to happen, so on and so forth. And so he's right wrestling and confusing in his own self. And my desire is to, again, speak love, speak life, speak truth, sure. and kind of get him to, like, hey, man, you've got. Yeah. It's very difficult to. Have a conversation from a biblical framework with people who are not in the Bible. This is a Christian kid, but it doesn't mean he's reading the scriptures. You know the stats. You know the stats. Here's, an, here's another one, the 4%. Here's another one. Only one-third, only one-third of Christian kids in our youth groups, okay? This is not all Gen Z. One-third of teenagers can name half of the Ten Commandments. Not one-third can name the Ten Commandments. Not half can name a third of the Ten Commandments. Don't get this confused. Only a third can guess five of the ten. So, and right now you're going through them in your own mind. <laughs> Trying to figure out how many you know, right? Did you forget covet? Yeah, that's right. Okay, there's seven. <laughs> I'm being generous. <laughs> Here, anyway. Um, so, I mean, you're going to have to go back to what we do. Like with, you've got to somehow, you have to address the entire youth ministry from a biblical perspective of sexuality. Because you just can't say, don't do this. 
Don't do this because Jesus used the word porneia. And right, last session, you can go there. The biblical framework will help those of you that, I just don't want to go back and rehash all of that necessarily. So the, you've got to get into the scriptures to, to, to defend, you know, not having sex before marriage between a woman, this guy, okay? Here's, if you want to have the argument outside of it, just, I love to share this with teenagers. Christmas is best when you unwrap the present on Christmas Day, right? Keep the present wrapped. You know, so I like to share things like that with teenagers, you know, um, biblical dating. There's a whole chapter on, on um, biblical dating, 10 ways to, to date properly and all that, you know, the hookup culture, <laughs> So getting them to understand some of that practical stuff will help too, but you got to come at it from a, a, a biblical framework that's theological that will bring conviction so the Holy Spirit can use that. Yeah. Can we do one more? Yeah, let's get a mic there so we can get this on recorded. Man, there's never enough time to hit on this topic. Oh, my Lord. So I know in your book you talk about the biblical framework. Yeah. But there's also then those from the other side that will counter that. So yes. when we teach, we teach the framework, teach the opposition, and then the answer to yeah. the opposition. So where are good resources right. to find the questions from the opposition and then the answers to the questions of the opposition. Yep. I give some of that in there. Okay. So what I do, but I, I can go there a little bit. Um, what, what I like to do is to be able to say, in, like in the book, I'll say, now, there are going to be some people who will, who will say this about what I'm saying. So I love to give that, you know, the corollary and just have a little bit of uh, give and take there. What, what, you have to, what you have to understand is there are some things that are up to debate. I brought one up in the last session. I'll do it here to, to, if you missed it. Uh, was Paul gay? Right? Um, you would think, an, you know, common sense, not nonsense, would say no because he was so strong against it. But then maybe he was first when he was Saul. Okay? Maybe. First of all, he wouldn't have been on the Sanhedrin. He wouldn't even have been on a lot of the Sanhedrin if he were, but... Let's, let's give it to them. Let's give that argument to them. Okay? That gives us the strength of the Saul to Paul transformation then. So in one sense, what that is saying from the progressives, when they flippantly say, Paul was gay, I've been at the dinner table and they've said that to me. And then I explain to them, how could a man who so vehement against it, I do that first, they're like, because maybe he changed. And literally, I've had them say that and go, oh, I mean, not changed, but, <laughs> right? Because now we have the argument of therapy. And you put that back into my lap. So, you know, the progressives sometimes, listen, I'm not the smartest guy on this. I'm not the smartest guy on this. There's some great, Christopher Wan, you, uh, Y-U-A-N, you got to read his newest also, Biblical Sexuality, really powerful. There's some others. On the, honestly, Ravi Zacharias, I know it's a, man, throwing the baby out with the bathwater argument. Ravi Zacharias' stuff on sexuality, even though that was, looks like that was an area where he just messed up, what he said is still so good and so true. He just didn't live it. Hello? Just think about yourself. <laughs> Just because you said it and screwed up doesn't mean it wasn't true. And we're so in the kingdom good at eating our own. I could go on with another example in my head that you all would know too. And I know a lot about that, that situation firsthand. So I don't throw some of that stuff out. Reading Ravi on this is really powerful. Man, so powerful. But um, I think this covers the, the, both sides of it pretty well, especially when we deal with Greek words too. 
Because that's where they do a lot of the twisting, and I'm sure you're alluding to that. They'll, they'll say, you know, okay, pornea, we'll give you pornea. But Malakoi could have been soft and effeminate, not gay, you know. And I'm like, cool, it could. Yes, and. <laughs> Depends on how it was used. So I think you have to do the best you can at, at reading both sides of it. Because the more you do, and I even say it in the argument at the very beginning. It seems like the progressives and the conservatives end up saying the same thing, just from a different perspective. You, you, you'll see that. I put that argument in there. They're saying the same thing, just one's trying to defend it, one is trying to define it. Defining and defending. Yeah. Man, okay, we got to go. We got to go. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for listening.